0: I'm so glad you're here this morning. Thank you for coming. I turn your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 41. Didn't this worship team do an awesome job singing and leading us into the presence of God? Thank you so much. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 41, and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He had no regard for him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. The Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? He was an arrogant warrior. He had won many, many battles. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That was a big mistake. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day, everybody say this day, will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. See, he could trash talk too. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Here's why. Not because I'm arrogant like you, but that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Oh, thank you, Jesus. How many of you know God is wanting to do some incredible things to show his mighty hand of power He's just looking for a vessel he can use and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. If you continue to read, you'll realize that he took Goliath's own sword, a big sword, one you'd have to hold with both hands and took Goliath's head off of the rest of his body and held it up for all the Philistines to see that their warrior had been defeated. I'd like to speak this morning, the next few moments on this subject, the weakness of a giant, the weakness of a giant. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word. The story of David and Goliath has always been one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm sure that's true for many others as well. It has stood for many things in people's lives, but the most common theme has been one of the underdog prevailing against what appeared to be an unbeatable foe. But today, for just a few moments in your hearing, I would like to look at the story from a different angle. There is no doubt that Goliath was a giant. The name Goliath has become synonymous with power, ferocity, and strength. His height was nine feet and nine inches. The height alone would be very intimidating and imposing. Can you imagine a man nine feet tall and nine inches? But he wasn't just some big, tall, skinny beanpole. He was a monster of a man. He was broad-shouldered. He was something that was intimidating to look at the physical eye. The reason we know that is the Bible is very specific about even his armor and the weight of it, that his spear was like a weaver's beam. There are, there are many descriptions of the vastness even of his armor. Well, we know that giants have been around since time began. In fact they are first described in the bible in the book of genesis chapter 6 originally giants appear to have been regarded positively often considered as heroes particularly by the non hebrew population but after the great flood giants remain present in the scriptural texts as we read in first samuel 17 but often their good reputation had waned in the eyes of the Hebrews especially, and they often tended to be seen as the enemy. Often fighting in armies, particularly with the Philistines. The nation of Israel also had some tall and posing warriors. Their king, Saul, was one of them. The Bible said he was head and shoulders above all the others when he was chosen to be king. Some believe that he was upwards of uh, six eight, six ten, possibly even seven feet tall himself. So giants were not limited to only one nationality. They are mentioned several times throughout scripture. But of all the giants that are mentioned in Scripture, Goliath, the Gittite, the one we read about, is the most well known giant in the Bible. He is described as a champion. Out of the camp of the Philistines. From Samuel and Chronicles, we have the ability to read about Goliath's pedigree. The literal interpretation of the verses suggests that his brother and three sons were also of giant stature. The name of Goliath's third son does not appear in the Bible, but it is said that he had on each hand six fingers and on each foot six toes, Samuel 21. As we read more and more even throughout scripture of Goliath's family tree, it is suggestive of a hereditary autosomal dominant pituitary gene that is named by modern medicine as AIP. According to the National Library of Medicine, Goliath appears to possess a hereditary Pituitary disorder, causing something that is referred to in the medical field as gigantism. It is what is referred to as a pituitary disorder that causes them to grow extra digits on their hand and feet and enormous height. And it was hereditary as we see even in Goliath's family. Goliath's traits which enabled him to rise through the Philistine ranks might also have been a contributory factor to what led to his downfall. In later life, people with pituitary diseases oftentimes develop myopathy, which leads to inhibited movement. This might account for the giant's Ponderous steps prior to and during his fight with David. Goliath often, as we read even in our text today, entreats David to move towards him on the battlefield. Limitation of lateral vision is common among humans with gigantism. Goliath's practice of sending his shield bearer in front of him would also give us further evidence of this particular pituitary disorder. We read about that in 1 Samuel as well. It might have been his effort to overcome his weakening vision. Goliath's inability to see David's sling or the oncoming projectile could have been because of his pituitary tumor that was pressing upon his optic nerve. It would also... Makes sense that there was a soft tissue tumor in his forehead because if a rock hits that right there on you or I, it will most likely bounce because of a bone that we have there. But the Bible says that with Goliath that it sunk into the tissue. I don't share any of this with you this morning to lessen the miracle of the defeat of this giant. This, no doubt, was a man who the Bible describes as a champion, a man that had killed every possible opponent, a man that an entire nation had so much confidence in that they were willing to put his ability up against the ability of any other one soldier and to say that if you can defeat this man, we will become your slaves you got to have a lot of confidence in a man to put forth such a challenge. And this was a man who was known also by reputation because all of the Israeli army hid in their tents. They were so fearful they wouldn't even utter a word. So no doubt the Bible is accurate as it describes him as a champion. But today I share this with you today to cause you to look at this giant in a different light. And to remind you that the giants that are in your life are not as powerful as they present themselves to be. The overriding message of the David and Goliath fight is that a person's character is more important an outward appearance. It wasn't just a possible physical vulnerability that weakened Goliath. His arrogance and his overconfidence made him a sitting duck for a supernatural victory.
1: Anytime the enemy comes against you with arrogance and with intimidation to try to defeat you By you checking out of the battle. He has already won. And I rise today to declare to you. That there is no giant in your life. That has the ability to defeat a child of God. A man or a woman. A boy or a girl. That will say I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow.
0: The Bible says that pride goeth before destruction. So every arrogant, overreaching giant that has you awake at night has a weakness of pride. Whatever has you feeling overwhelmed and overmatched has a weakness. It
1: has an Achilles heel It may be a relationship on your job. It may be a financial situation or even a financial concern. It could be a medical report, and it looks like a giant, and it looks like there's no way that you can win the victory. I've come to tell you today that that giant has a weakness. The Word of God says everything that exalted itself against God is going to be defeated. And that includes the children of God. You just got to go ahead and say, I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. God's going to get praise
0: out of this situation. Looks like a giant. It looks like there's no way you're going to get a victory. But I want you to know it has a weakness. It's not as powerful as you think it is. The Bible says that Satan goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I always thought about that as the enemy trying to intimidate. I always thought about that as being what the lions in the jungle do. But I remember the very first time I went to South Africa and went on a safari and we were at night in these jeeps looking for the lions as they hunt at night, nocturnal creatures hunting. And we were looking and we could not find any of the lions, and then there was a call on the radio with our uh, ranger guide, and he said they have spotted a male lion down in a ravine and and he's uh, killed a zebra, and he 's just finishing it off. we're going to go over there and see if we can get to him before he moves and so we got over there to him, and much to my dismay, he pulled right up next to the line, so that I 'm sitting like this up in the higher part of the jeep. And the male lion is like right where that table is. And he's got his big old paw over this carcass of ribs that are sticking up out of the ground. And there's like no meat left on him. And he's got a big old belly and he's going, <sighs> he's breathing like that. And the man starts to explain to us about how these lions will gorge themselves when they have a kill because they don't know when they're going to get another meal. And so they will eat it all. They don't want to share it with the predators and the and uh, hyenas and jackals, everything that comes around to try to take it from them, the scavengers. And so he will guard his kill until he's devoured it all. He said, it looks like uh, he's just finished up. And I'm thinking, okay, this was great. I've got some pictures. I'm ready to go now. But before we could move the jeep, he let out a bone-chilling hair rising roar. I mean, you could hear it for miles, but I was right next to him. And when he roared, I thought, he is not finished eating yet. He is ready for dessert, and I look like a piece of cheesecake or something. So I was like, is there a possibility we can move? And the guide said, do you know why he's roaring? And in my mind, I'm thinking because he is wanting to protect his kill. He's wanting to send a message to us that we're not to mess with him and that he is the king of the jungle. And when they roar, it's heard uh, over a great distance of those savannas and plains there in Africa. And they let everybody know that the king
1: of the jungle, the male lion, has let out a roar. He is on his domain. He has established his territory. And I was willing for him to have all of that.
0: But the guide surprised us when he said this. He said the reason that he's roared is because he's vulnerable. He has just gorged himself. He is so full, he can barely breathe, much less fight. And he feels threatened. And he feels vulnerable. So he roars
1: as a self-defense mechanism. When he said that, even though it was the middle of the night, and we were out in you know, the African savannah jungle. I was so reminded of the scripture that Satan goes about as a roaring lion. He goes about roaring, not because he's more powerful than a child of God, not because he can defeat you with his suggestions, but because he is vulnerable to a man or a woman that is filled with the Spirit of God, that can pray in the Holy Ghost, that can declare the glory and the greatness of God. I come today to tell you, your giant has a weakness.
0: January 22nd, 1973, Justice Harry Blackman delivered the majority opinion of the United States Supreme Court in a case titled Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion in America. Justice Blackman was former counsel to Mayo Clinic, which is considered one of the prestigious medical institutions in America headquartered in Rochester, Minnesota. Harry Blackman had been in-house counsel for Mayo Clinic before he was appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. So when it came time to write the majority opinion for the case that would become known as Roe v. Wade, Harry Blackman was assigned the task of writing the majority opinion, drawing on the medical knowledge that was available at that time and the research that he had done at the University of Minnesota. He wrote his opinion based on a trimester criteria of a nine-month gestation period, believing that viability was only possible after the second trimester or six months of pregnancy. But the advancement of medical knowledge and medical technology since that time has shown that this information was faulty. And the viability or the time when a baby is able to survive outside of the womb is much earlier than six months. And we've got some examples of it in this church. There's two little girls, twin girls that I just saw run down that aisle that were born at three months. And they are healthy and full of presence, vim, and vigor. In addition, when Roe v. Wade was decided, it was a departure from something that's called original interpretation. Roe v. Wade was based on a right to privacy that's not an enumerated right in the Constitution. And depending on your judicial philosophy, an unenumerated right or a right that's not specifically listed, though it may be implied, cannot or should not establish a federal law of entitlement.
1: This giant of a decision has hung like a black cloud over this nation for almost 50 years.
0: I remember more than 20 years ago when I was working with Liberty Council. And Matt Staver and I co-hosted Law and Justice and Faith and Freedom National Radio and Television programs. And we worked to try to defend the sanctity of life. And we work to try to defend traditional marriage and other constitutional issues in this nation that people of faith enjoy the freedom of. I can remember that there were giant ministries, even in this country, that told us
1: abortion is a settled issue. You need to move on to other topics because for every year that that law is in place, it's going to be harder for it to be overthrown. There is a judicial philosophy called stare decisis, which is Latin for let the thing stand as it is. But I've come today to tell you that it may be a giant, but it still has a weakness. If it's not founded on biblical principles,
0: This giant of a decision cost millions of babies' lives. It began a moral decline that continues in this nation at an accelerated pace. But this week on Friday, June 24, 2022, nearly 50 years later, the Supreme Court of the United States uh, overturned that decision. And though this giant has hovered over this nation,
1: and though everybody said it'll never be overturned. It had a fundamental weakness. I've come to tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, you may be overwhelmed by the fight. You may feel like that you've been praying year after year after year for your unsafe spouse or your child that's not yet returned to the faith. I've come today to tell you that that giant of fear, that giant that plagues you at night, it has a weakness. And the weakness of the giant is that it opposes a biblical principle that if you raise them in the fear of God, they will not depart from it.
0: And if two or three can agree together, they can touch any one thing. And it shall, it shall, it shall be heard. Sometimes you can feel like the world's getting worse and worse, and it is. I was telling the church on Wednesday night, that I just got back from New York last week. And it was so bad. There was such a heaviness in the spirit realm. As I walked through Times Square, I felt like I was visiting Sodom and Gomorrah. I'd never seen so much debauchery, filthiness in all of my life. And if you're trying to live a life that pleases God, and the world is getting more and more vile, you feel like you're fighting a giant. And you are overmatched. But I've come
1: today to tell you, The giant has a weakness. Let me tell you what that weakness is.
0: Even sin, wholesale sin, that runs rampant through a nation that
1: was based on Judeo-Christian values. Let me tell you what the weakness is of that giant. The Weakness is it cannot match men and women of God in the Holy Ghost uh, that get on their knees and begin to get a hold of God. uh, That begin to say, uh, I'm going to be a person that declares righteousness. Uh, I'm going to be a person that declares holiness. Uh, You say, Pastor, why are you getting political? This is not political. Everybody ought to believe in life. society should have the greatest measure of protection for those that are most vulnerable. And there's nobody more vulnerable than those that are not even born yet. This is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. And every man, woman, child of God, you ought to be encouraged today. God is still on the throne. And the battle, it belongs to God. I've come to encourage somebody today, don't give up, huh? get back in the bag, huh? get another stone, huh? put it in your sling. Victory is coming.
0: Second Samuel 21 verse 15, moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, yet war again with Israel. When David defeated Goliath, it wasn't the end. It was the beginning. The beginning of battles. David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. He's tired. I'm tired of fighting all this family of giants. I'm tired of one battle after another. One step forward, two steps back. He was weary. The Bible said David waxed faint. Sometimes it's easy to get faint in your spirit. He's weary of fighting. Not just Goliath, but the whole bunch of them. And Ishbibinov, which was one of the sons of Goliath, the Bible says the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass. He, being girded with a new sword, got a new weapon, thought to have slain David. He came within a hair's breadth of defeating David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him, or overcame him, and smote the Philistine, and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to
1: battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. David. The light has got to keep on shining. Truth has got to keep on being preached. I'm glad you're still willing to commit yourself to the battle. But we're going to help you fight the battle. There's something beautiful about a giant. There's something that is positive about a giant trial. A giant crisis. A giant dilemma.
0: I remind you of three biblical principles. Number one. God is a God who balances all things. Isaiah 40 and 12, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and meted out in heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Don't you know that He has balanced balance this earth so that it can spin thousands of miles an hour. And yet that cup of water can sit there and it doesn't even move because this earth is so perfectly
1: balanced. He's got every hill and every mountain in the right place. My car can throw a weight on its tire and it starts to rattle at 60, yay, 70 miles an hour. The earth can spin at thousands of miles an hour because he's got it balanced. He even knows where all the piles of dirt got to go. Every mountain, every valley, every volcano, every bit of water, it's all measured by God. If he's done that with an earth that can't be saved, what do you think he's doing with your life? He's measuring it all. He's balancing it all.
0: He's gonna have the final say. Matthew seven two, for with what judgment you judge ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet it shall be measured to you again. Luke six thirty eight Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and Shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Matthew nine, twenty-nine. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Second Corinthians ten, fifteen, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors.
1: That's not what we're boasting about. But having hope. When your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Oh, you know what the writer is saying. That when you face a big giant, God gives you big faith. The bigger the giant, the more abundant the faith.
0: God is a God who balances But he's also a God who measures. God measured the ark. He gave Noah the exact dimensions. God measured the temple. He gave Moses exact measurements. God measured New Jerusalem.
1: It's designed according to specific dimensions. He measures my trials. And He measures your trials. And He knows exactly what the size is of the giant that you are facing and that I am facing. And the weakness of that giant is a biblical principle. That where sin and abounds. Grace does much more. So for every giant you have gotta face, God's preparing you for something great. He's gonna enlarge your coast and increase your faith for the size of your giant.
0: Size of that giant, doesn't matter how big it is, is then balanced with the size of your gain and my gain. And the size of the trial is in direct proportion to the size of the triumph. David started out with a big test. Joseph started out with a giant hurt. Moses started out with a giant problem. Abraham started out with a big uncertainty. But the bigger the battle, the bigger the blessing. Oh, i come to encourage somebody today. You may have had a big old giant step in your path this week. But my God is bigger.
1: My God is greater. And my God doesn't have a weakness. He's defined by His power and His strength. He is all-knowing. He's all-power. And He is a mighty God. And He is big enough. And He's going to give you what you need to win the victory.
0: And after He gives you the gift... The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So the devil should have left you alone. But because he was so brash, because he's so arrogant,
1: that he put a giant in your path. And God gave you faith to defeat the giant. But when the giant is gone, you still got the faith. You still got the power. You still got the victory. You're like David. You've already taken out a bear and a lion. So bring on a cursing Goliath. Bring on a false Goliath with your pituitary weakness. This is a, it, doesn't matter to a child of God. I've got the victory. I've got the.
0: If you're going through a difficult time, if this one is really big, take heart. God really loves you, He's got something big in store for you. A big storm, a big hurricane, it's balanced out by a big recovery. A lot of jobs, a lot of growth, a lot of surplus. But finally, let me conclude with this point. If you fight a giant and win, it does not mean that you'll not fight another giant. It just means that the next giant that you face, you will not face alone. Bishai was a mighty man of valor. He was ranked near the top of David's mighty men. He was Joab's older brother. Joab was captain of David's army. And Joab was loyal to David, but to a point, he was very opinionated, and oftentimes he was more loyal to his own opinion than to David's command. But Abishai was different. Abishai and Joab were brothers. They were both David's nephews. They were the son of David's half-sister, Zeruah. And Abishai along with Joab, were mighty men of valor. David had not met Abishai when he killed Goliath. But when David came back into town after killing Goliath, and the women came into the streets and began to sing, Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. They were singing a prophetic word. I've come today to give you a prophetic word. Some of you are being fought by the enemy right now, not for what you are, but for what you're going to be.
1: The enemy is fighting you right now with a giant because of what God's got in store for you. And you can't see it right now. And you don't understand why you're facing what you're facing. I've come to tell you it's because you're going to walk into some large places. And the enemy is fighting you now. For he knows what's coming on the horizon. So take heart. Go ahead and let the light of God's love shine. God's got the battle. God's got the victory. Just stay in him. Just stay in him. Just stay in faith. Just stay in praise. Just stay in worship. Just stay in faithfulness to Him.
0: God holds your future. The size of your faith is going to be matched with the size of your future. Because giant opposition is going to bring giant progression. As David began to run for his life from King Saul, Bishai joined himself to David. He's part of a group of 400 men The Bible said we're in debt, depressed, and discontented. And you think God can't use you? He was in debt, distressed, and discontented. 400 of them. David's mighty men of valor. And as they are running for their life from the king in the desert, living in caves... A great opportunity came to them as Saul came out with his soldiers to fight. The army of Saul knowingly camped right by a place where David and his men were. They discovered where Paul was sleeping. And when David asked for volunteers to go with him into the camp while the Philistines were asleep or rather the Israel army was asleep and King Saul was in the middle of it. He said, I'm going to sneak into the camp and find the king. Does anybody want to go with me? There was only one volunteer and his name was Abishai. size of your giant determines the size of your strength. David, from now on, we will fight the giants. We will fight the monsters with 12 toes and 12 fingers. You are the light of Israel. You have fought your last battle. We will fight for you. So the rhetorical question that I have for each of you here today is, Who is your Abishai? Because the weakness of a giant is that it gives you clarity as to who is on your side. Friends and acquaintances with a lot of people. But when you face a
1: giant... You find out who your brothers and sisters are. You find out there's some eyes that are in the camp. They weren't there for your first battle. But they come alongside of you now. And they said, hey, why don't you let me take this one for you? Why don't you let me stand in your stead and begin to intercede and pray for you? You know why? Because the giant will reveal who your Abysshei is.
0: giant is in your life what trials are you facing what obstacles what wall don't fret it though the giant may be suffering with vision clarity I'm convinced that the enemy suffers from vision doesn't understand all that God's got in store So just out of its pure ignorance and arrogance, comes against a man or a woman of God. Comes against a young man or a young lady of God. Tries to exert itself through intimidation. There's going to be somebody come up in the camp and say, You come against me with a spear and a sword and a shield. And I come against you in the name of the Lord, the host of Israel.
1: Whose victory he's going to give me today. For the camp wants to know. And needs to know that there is a God in the Israel. Come on East Wind. Come on apostolic Pentecostals. Come on it's time for the light to shine. It's time for you and I to reflect the love of God. As it radiates out of us to a lost and dying world around us. I know there's giants in the land. I know there's big obstacles in face that are facing you and in front of you. But I've come to tell you that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world.
0: Would you stand to your feet today? I don't know what obstacle you're facing. I don't know what giant you're facing. All I know is the word that God gave me for you today. The bigger the wall, the bigger the fall. Don't be afraid of the giant. If you look close, you'll see your You'll see brothers and sisters that are going to stand with you shoulder to shoulder. Your help is on the way. Lift up
1: your head. Don't look at the giant. Look at the creator of the universe. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O oh, ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You ought to lift your hands and you ought to lift your heads and you ought to set your mouth like a trumpet and declare the glory and the praises of God.
0: willing today to be honest enough and say pastor I need prayer you don't have to go into details to what it is but you're just willing to say I need prayer I wonder if you'd just slip your hand up right now look at all these hands all across this auditorium come on God knows he knows what you have need of you can put your hand down I'm going to ask all of you that raised your hands Would you step out of where you're standing? Would you come down to this altar? I want to pray over every one of you that put your hand up. I feel a boldness in the Holy Ghost today. I feel like God wants to increase and enlarge our faith today to understand that he's at work. You thought he lost your zip code. You thought you were standing out there on the battlefield by yourself, facing a monster that you've never seen before. But God has come today to remind us through the Word of God that He's got your back. He's got the battle. The
1: battle belongs to the Lord. I said the battle belongs to the Lord. Oh,
0: that's it. Keep on coming. Push down the aisles. Get as close as you can. Oh, oh, I feel something in the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, get down here as close as you can. Lift up your hands to the Lord. By the authority of the Word of God. By the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the name of Jesus. I pray over this great congregation
1: of people. I pray, God, right now, that you would give us the faith and the confidence to stand for righteousness, to be not weary in our well-doing, I ask you, God, right now for strength. I ask you, Lord, for a double portion of your anointing upon this group of people. I pray for victory to come from the most unlikely of places. I pray for healing and deliverance. I pray for our families and our homes and our marriages and our children. In the name of Jesus, cover us with your glory. Name of Jesus. For the battle belongs to In the name of
2: Jesus. am gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory.
1: In the name for of Jesus.